exciting times because in this episode of Journey to the Stone, I take you to one of my favorites, also one of the most important colored gemstones on record globally, a gem that has captured the hearts of royalty. It demands the highest price per carat of any colored stone in the history of the world by auction. It is something that is traded on a daily basis and demands prices that no other colored stone has ever seen before. Let's talk about the legendary ruby. Now, I think we should start with the gem that has broken the world record. Let's start with the sunrise ruby. This particular ruby coming out of the Magog stone track surpassed over a million a carat. It was the first time a colored gemstone had surpassed a million a carat. You're looking at emeralds have reached a quarter of a million. Cashmere sapphires have reached a quarter of a million. D-flawless diamonds have reached a quarter of a million. But it was the first time that we'd ever seen a gem surpass that seven-digit per carat mark. This was a phenomenon, something that had never been seen before, which only shows the demand and the interest in the legendary pigeon blood red rubies of the world. If you want to own one of the rarest gems in the world, it is the unheated, fully certified pigeon blood red rubies. That's what demands the highest price per carat. It has always demanded the highest price per carat. And it also is one of the rarest geological phenomenons in the world. The, sunro- the sunrise ruby coming out of the legendary Magok stone tract. This is basically in Burma. It comes out of the Shan state that Magok stone tract has captured the hearts of the Maharajas, you know, royalty throughout the years. It's been mining for hundreds of years and it basically put pigeon blood red rubies on the map. And now a two carat stone can set you back, you know, high five digits to six digits per carat if you're talking about the magok material and you know if you can get any good quality crystallized magok ruby it's expensive magok ruby one of the most in-demand rubies of the world rivals the price of the most expensive diamonds surpasses anything in the world of color there's nothing like it when you're talking about value proposition extremely collectible. Now let's talk about a little bit about the whole Magok area. I grew up in Thailand from the age of 13. I used to sneak across the border going into Magok at the age of 15 years old. It was illegal to go into Burma at that period. I mean, literally, I would not be alive today if I was caught. But I was young, I was stupid, and I was interested. I wanted to know where these stones came from. So I used to go under the radar sneak into the Shan State, travel down village to village in the Magok Stone Tract, used to sit there, you know, and basically learn from the villagers and trade stones with them. And then I used to sneak across back into the Thai border. I would disappear for three, four, five weeks at a time. People thought I was dead. But it was what basically inspired me to become the gem hunter of who I am today. Because after going into Magok, you know, the world was simple for me. When Africa opened up, it was less 
less dangerous. When other countries opened up, I remember going through Sri Lanka when they had the Tamil rebels, etc. I wasn't even phased because Burma set the bar so high and was so dangerous that it was basically my education into the world of madness. Gem hunting with no fear. That's where it all began. But in that process, I got to learn how these particular pigeon blood red rubies grow within the marble host rock, you know, the high fluorescence within the crystal structure that differentiates them from what was the dominant ruby at the time. At the time, if you look back around 30 odd years ago, the the prominent and dominant ruby in the marketplace was the Siam ruby, the Siamese ruby or the Thai ruby that was predominantly mined in Boploi or Na Wong. These are the particular locations in mines within Thailand. It was what basically put Chantaburi, Thailand on the map because the mines were mined within the Chantaburi region. There was also a spillover of Cambodian ruby that used to basically come into the Thai market as well also known as Thai ruby, but the Siamese ruby, that particular area dominated the ruby market. So if you were buying rubies in New York or in London, they were most likely at that period in the 80s and 90s, predominantly Siamese rubies. Then these particular pockets dried up. The Burma ruby has always been a very limited mined ruby. And back in the day, it's had a lot of, you know, political turmoil and ups and downs and changes of governments, etc. So it's always been tricky. The Burma ruby access has always been limited and it's never been a large quantity of Burmese rubies being mined. Thai ruby, on the on the other hand, was the first time they brought in serious mechanized mining. They Thais brought in the machines, they mined out everything they could, and the mines depleted. And that is why today, in current market, there is zero Sam ruby traded at all. There is none out there. There is none in circulation. There is no mining. There is nothing. There is nothing. If you're looking for a three or four carat Thai, you know, Siamese ruby, it is impossible to find because there is nothing unless it is on someone's finger or in a piece of jewelry somewhere or in someone's safe. So Siamese rubies, a thing of the past. Then basically after the Siamese ruby basically, basically depleted, Africa was the big thing. I remember being in Africa in early 2000, late 1990s to early 2000, and then we started finding rubies in Tanzania. That was a big thing. Tanzania, the first discovery was down in the Songia region. Now, they produce predominantly color change sapphire in Songia, but there was some red rubies that came out of the Songia region, but they tend to have also very similar to the Siamese counterparts in the area, they tended to have more purple hue to them. They didn't have the vivid red like the material that comes out of Magok, Burma. So that particular material was, but, but it did, it had sparkle. It had sparkle. If you like sparkle, Tanzanian ruby popped. Sonkia was electric. It would pop. It would sparkle. It would. It, the brilliance was unbelievable. And today, ninety-nine not even ninety. I would say hundred percent of all Sonkia ruby has been heated with beryllium. This is an additive they add while the heating process is going on. It's a controversial discussion. I mean, Cap Florence doesn't deal with any beryllium stones, but beryllium is just basically an additive that is added within the crucible when they're heating the ruby. At 
1800 degrees and it makes that stuff pop you want to see a gem turn purple to neon red add beryllium to it very controversial some people accept it some don't that's a whole different discussion point i sell a lot of rough that comes out of tanzania to people who heat this within thailand and then sell it on to different markets in turkey the u.s a lot of people use it because there is no sparkle like it then the discovery of windsor windsor was actually quite remarkable remarkable the windsor deposit in tanzania was very similar to material you saw out of burma but not as crystallized not as crystallized as the burmese material very rare now don't get me wrong Every ruby mine has amazing quality. Every single one will have the finest quality ruby. It's just the percentage of how much of it actually is present within that deposit. So Windsor, very short-lived, not a lot of rubies coming out of the deposit, but it was nice to see that red coming into the marketplace to try to make up for the shortfall of the Burmese ruby. Now, Burmese ruby, while this is happening in early 2000, is exponentially increasing in prices. You can see the auctions going for 200000 a carat, 250 a carat, 300,000 a carat, 350,000, 400,000 a carat. You would think with all the problems in Burma and all the restrictions and all the different, you know, can't import to the US, can't do this, you know, the trade embargoes, yada, 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 that the prices wouldn't increase, but they kept going up. The Chinese used it as portable wealth. They were in the market, they were buying. It was crazy days. Here we go. This is where it all started changing. Mid-2004, 2005, I find myself in Mozambique predominantly going after the Pariba deposit. I was buying up everything I could. Mozambique Pariba was like world-changing. Nobody had ever seen it. Nobody ever knew it. And I was there filling up my pickup truck with it. I was buying everything I could. I went up, then I started finding, then I went up to the Montepuez area of Mozambique. And what did I discover? I discovered. Ruby. Now, this is before Gem Fields was there. I was in, you know, Montepuez in the northern part of Mozambique plucking out these rubies. Now, this material was different. This material had the pigeon blood red color. No orange overtone like we saw in Windsor. No purplish overtone like we saw in Sonkia. No Siamese purple color as a secondary. This stuff was red. It was raining red. Raining red. Hallelujah, just rain in red. Yeah, yeah. And I stayed there for a year and a half and worked with the locals and bought as much of this Montepuez ruby I could get to sell it into the market in Thailand. And voila, Montepuez ruby, Mozambique ruby was on the map. Now I trade rough and I trade hundreds and hundreds of kilos of rough. That's my primary business. And what you see at Cap Florence is predominantly the selected cherry picked out pieces that I have collected for myself throughout the years of selling rough. So I'll sell, I'll buy a hundred kilos, keep one gram, you know, and that is what Cap Florence ends up with. And that's why you see these top rare super stones at prices that are outright silly. So Montepuez is on the map. Jem Fields, who's doing all the mining for the Zambian Emerald in, in Africa, comes over to, you know, 
Mozambique and takes a position. So they have this joint venture with the government of Zambia. So they walk in, they make a joint venture with the government of Mozambique and voila, the Gemfields Ruby mine is in action and in production. Then it's tough for me to get value because I'm a value hunter. I like to get in before the mining operations, before the roads are, you know, paved. I want to get in there. I want to climb through, you know, I want to walk through the jungle, swim across the river, get to the mine when it's just artisanal mining. I want to be the first one in, get the best quality, get the best price and get out. And that's predominantly predominantly what I do, whether it's Opal in Ethiopia, whether it's certain, you know, Danbright, Mexico, I go to locales that people don't know exist. So Montepoise is now on the map and it becomes the predominant supplier of Ruby into the world market. Price is still going up because anything that is nice red demands huge prices. Now, a fact that you need to understand about Ruby, 99.999999% basically almost all rubies in the world are heated unheated natural the hand of mother nature rubies are extremely rare and they demand huge price points that's why you'll see ruby selling for seven digits a carat you'll see them at auctions regularly pigeon blood you know good crystallized ruby that is unheated demanding six digits seven digits a carat because it is rare usually ruby must be heated to improve the crystallization now i trade rough and the rough that i trade most of it gets heated. But every once in a while, when I see a stone that is naturally crystallized with the top color, I keep it and I keep it and I keep it. And that is what I have done for my whole life. And then ended up giving these to Cap Florence, and that's the pieces you see. But for educational reasons, what you see at 99.9999, actually most of the jewelry stores in the world, these are heated rubies. That's the way it is. Unheated is very, very uncommon, predominantly sold in auctions or in the collector world to individuals who understand it, who want what nobody can find in the gems that are the hardest and most important stones in the world to replace. They're very, very uncommon. Now, we have had deposits of ruby discovered in Kenya, predominantly cabochon quality. We also have rubies that were discovered in, you know, other locales throughout the world, you know, but they, nothing that dominates the crystal grade. So if you're looking for the most expensive, beautiful ruby in the world, I'm going to, I'm going to put them in order for you. You've got the Burmese ruby because of the credibility it's had on the global stage. It hits seven digits per carat in big sizes. If you got crystallization, that's not even perfectly clean material. That's not even perfectly clean. That's just nice color, you know, good fluorescence, that type of stuff. I would rank probably the second most important ruby out there is a deposit that most people People don't talk about because most of these rubies, unless you're really working with the top Swiss labs, are identified as Burma anyway are the Lukian rubies. They also grow in the marble host rock. Lukian is Vietnam, quite close to the locale of the Magok region. High chromium concentration in the crystal structure, high fluorescence as well, identical to its counterpart in Magok. Very, very good quality. The prices are pretty much the same when you're buying them in the rough form. They're very expensive in Vietnam and the quantity is so limited. There's just not a lot out there. Then I would rank probably you know you're looking at 
you know, the Mozambique Ruby. The Mozambique Ruby Pigeon Blood certified is always going to demand big dollars. Now, I have some Mozambique rubies that I have gotten throughout the years that I give that term of Jedi to. If they resemble the most important spinels in the world, I'll give them that criteria or that you know distinction of Jedi because they must sparkle and blow your head off. They must pop like crazy. crazy. So whenever you see me say Jedi ruby, you can be sure this gem is explosive. It's high fluorescence, it's popping, it's electric, the color is perfect, and it is one of the finest rubies that that mine has ever produced, period. Because those are the stones I'm always trying to collect. So I collect two distinct varieties, Jedi rubies and pigeon blood red rubies. Pigeon blood because it's always been the go-to. It's more of a vivid color. It's more of a deep color. A lot of people like that, but I also like the Jedi pop. Things that look like Namya Spinel. Things that glow in the moonlight, glow in the dark. If you can get rubies that glow in the dark, especially if they are unheated natural, that makes them one of the rarest geological phenomenons that Mother Nature has ever produced. So that is your education for Ruby for the day. I could go on for hours about Ruby because this is one of my main trading stones. I have hunted Ruby my whole life. It is also one of the most in-demand and loved gemstones out there. Whether you go Jedi Ruby, whether you go Pigeon Blood, or if you already own a Ruby, Take care of it. Look after it. Unheated reigns supreme. Always understand that. If you had a heated ruby, do not worry. Heated rubies still hold value. They still are increasing in value. I sell a lot of rough that ends up being heated and it's sold all over the world in the main in the main retailers of the world. So it's by no by no means a faux pas type situation. It's just if you want the best, if you want what nobody has, and if you want one of the rarest geological phenomenon that Mother Nature ever makes, go unheated. If you can get a nice color, crystallized, gem quality ruby that's unheated, that is extremely rare. And if you can get it above one carat, that is crazy, crazy rare. And above two carats gets like 10 times rarer. Above three carats, there is not a lot in the world. Above five carats, you're talking about a freak of nature. These are not stones that grow in size, especially in the natural form without the presence of heat or any treatment whatsoever. So if you can get those, good place to invest, good place to hold on to. Prices have soared consecutively and consistently for the last 30 odd years in my career. So if you like the best, stick with the unheated, stick with the bigger size, and stick with good crystallization. I hope you enjoyed my episode on Ruby. I'll reach out with a new gemstone coming soon.